In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, please turn in your Bibles or your service booklets if you got them. We're going to start in our epistle reading today. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. As you turn there, I, I want to share with you a quote from Ignatius of Antioch. He was a bishop in the early church, a disciple of John, actually, and he was born sometime around A.D. 35. He died sometime around A.D. 110. And in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, It is therefore befitting that you should in every way glorify Jesus Christ, who hath glorified you, that by a unanimous obedience you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, that you may all speak the same thing concerning the same thing. Well, if you notice, he was actually quoting our epistle reading today. And he's, a quote, he's quoting Paul as Scripture, and he's using that to bear in the Ephesian church. And while he's proud in his letter of how they're currently working together, he makes sure to remind them that this unity is only manifest if they continue to glorify Jesus Christ first. Now, Ephesus might have been doing okay, but quarreling and disunity, they were not a blip isolated to early believers in Corinth. And Ignatius should know. He got to tour churches all across Asia Minor as he made his way to Rome. And of course, there he was eaten by lions for professing the name of Jesus Christ. Well, today, this message of unity as we proclaim Christ, is just as important. It's more so important for us today than even then. Here, here, we live a life of luxury. We've got time on our hands. So I pray that we would just be attentive and learn. So turning in our lesson today, in verse 11 of chapter 1, we hear from the outset that Paul has heard from Chloe's people, and there's quarreling amongst the folks at Corinth to which Paul implores those he calls brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to all agree or literally speak the same thing. That's what we heard Ignatius. He was quoting, he was quoting Paul literally. I think we will see today some things never change. We're prone to wander. We know that hymn, right? Prone to leave the God we love. You see, the thing is, being a Christian means that we have been united to God in Christ, but also with each other. And so we cannot wander from one without negatively impacting the other. If we wander from each other, we are wandering from God. Corinthian believers had gotten their priorities mixed up. They were placing their favorite Christian leaders over Christ himself. And it was killing them in ways that they couldn't even imagine yet. I imagine if you went up to each of those that were causing these divisions, and you asked, well, who is Lord? I'm sure they'd give you that Sunday school answer, right? They're going to give you the right answer. And they'd say, well, Jesus is Lord. Duh. That's our confession. We say that. But maybe if you waited around in the parking lot, well, on the way to the market, because they didn't have parking lots. You might hear something more like, well, I like the way Peter did things. 
Or, well, I like the way Apollos did things. Paul responds to this in a way that ought to cut us to the heart just a little bit. Let me read then from verse 12. You'll see he says, and this is Paul. Each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Cephas. Or, I follow Christ. Paul's language here is beautiful, but it's very pointed. Did you notice that Christ was just another name on the list? Sometimes in our zeal to get these details right about Jesus, Jesus just becomes another name on the list of those other details. Let's imagine that this epistle arrives in Corinth. And as people gather that Lord's Day to worship, perhaps even Chloe herself gets up to read this letter aloud. Could you imagine that? And when she gets to this line, she maybe perks up a little and she reads with a little bit of pomp. And everyone listening starts to get the picture of the last time their Corinthian aristocrats went down to the forum and started to bloviate about all their little pet projects. And so she continues, I follow Paul. And at least in some of their minds, some of them are thinking, well, here, here, right? I follow Apollos. And he's the real good preacher. So maybe you're getting that hearty Baptist, amen, right? Well, she continues, I follow Cephas. And then I follow Christ. Just another name on the list. Now, we'd hope it went silent at that point, right? Hopefully, there was a little bit of blushing. Perhaps a few folks started staring down at their feet, mumbling a little, as they were all forced to nod in approval and say, well, of course we follow Jesus. But see, follow, uh, Paul follows this up with a rhetorical question. And this is as valid for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. Paul says, is Christ divided? You see, the reality is, if we aren't just sitting around, or if we are just sitting around inside the house politicking, it doesn't matter what name we're claiming, folks. You see, we can claim the name of Christ all we want. We can use it to signal that we have the right answers. We can weaponize it and use it as a means of elevating ourselves above others. But if we use the name of Christ in either of those ways, we are using it in vain. If we choose either of those paths, we will wake up one day and find ourselves preaching what Scripture says is a different gospel and a different Christ. In fact, it actually doesn't take long for this to happen in Corinth. By the time Paul writes his second letter to Corinthians, they've already begun to lose sight of who Jesus really was. Paul comes back sarcastically in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, and he says, I'm paraphrasing, Well, some of you have taken to proclaiming another Jesus, and you all are tolerating it pretty well. Ouch. Right? May that never be the case here. May that never be the case at the table. At our sister church in Joplin. May that never be the case at King of Kings in Mountain View. Still, this is a very real danger. And we face that constantly. 
So what do we do? For our answer today, I want us to pivot to our gospel reading. And we're going to see that it's not enough to sit around and just be unified in saying, I follow Christ. Rather, our real, that real powerful unity, that comes as we follow the real Jesus Christ. And we do what he is already doing. This kind of unity doesn't develop naturally. It isn't maintained naturally. It develops supernaturally through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this comes as we are constantly submitting ourselves in humility to Jesus Christ. So as you turn in your service booklet or your Bibles to Matthew 4, 12 through 22, know that we're going to be asking, where does Christ go? What does he do? And then we want to make sure that's what we're doing from here out. So right out of the gate, Jesus begins to ramp up his ministry. Matthew 4, verse 12, tells us that Jesus went and lived in Capernaum. And while Jesus will move about Israel, particularly going in and out of Jerusalem over the next three years, he always comes back here. This becomes his home. This is his base of operations. And the reason he moves here reveals something about who he is and what kind of people we need to be. Notice that after Matthew talks about where Jesus went, he says in verse 14 that it was so what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He's saying that where Jesus is going fulfills the word of God. In verse 16, he says, He is the light that has dawned on those who are in darkness, those dwelling in the shadow of death. So Jesus now lives here in Capernaum on the edge of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, looking out into the world of the Gentiles. So if if Israel was depicted as a tent, you might say he's the guy whose cot is right by the tent door. That's a really terrible place to be, folks, okay? You don't want to have your cot by the door of the tent. It's much further to be in the back, free of distraction, free of dirt, and all the other stuff that might be coming and going in and out of the tent. I was in the Army for six years, and uh, I spent at least a year and a half living in tents, maybe two years. And we were running 24 hours a day, every day. And when you're living out of a large tent, And things are going 24 hours a day, every day. Things are always going on. There's always people coming and going. There's light. There's noise. There's cold. There's heat. It never stops near the door. And so you don't try to put a cot near the door. You you avoid it at all costs. See, the goal is to get a break from the outside when you go in your tent. But not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus places his cot by the door. And even as he returns to rest, he wants to keep an eye out into the world. Because that's where his mission is. That's where his heart is. Because God so loved the world. We know that verse, don't we? Well, that's where our mission is too. But is that always where our hearts are? Here I think the tent analogy falls a little short. 
It doesn't really help us understand the heart of Jesus any further. You see, Jesus, he isn't just tolerating the noise and the light of the world because he got a bad spot in the tent. It was all completely intentional, designed from eternity past. So remember, though, he has commissioned us as his disciples to carry on his work of making disciples. Our focus is still out that tent door into the world. So we don't get to think of ourselves as tolerating the light and the noise and the pollution just so we can get out of here and escape. Jesus knows that without him in the world, there is no light. And this is who we see revealed today. This is who we behold today. By the will of the Father and the power of the Spirit, This is who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Without him, there is only darkness. And he has left us, though, to reflect that light out into the world. This is the Jesus we must be constantly rallying to. This Jesus must be over and far above any of our other peculiarities, even Christian peculiarities. As Anglicans, we've got a lot of peculiarities, don't we? We have different expressions, different flavors, different postures and practices. All of them are very helpful and they're very full of biblical meaning. And I'm sure each of us has something from our tradition that has really helped us connect with Jesus Christ. But we must always be certain that Christ is unmistakably first in our lives and that we are unashamedly reflecting his light out into the world first. Always. Every day. And that our concerns are prioritized by Him. So if we don't hear that Jesus preached in here, then we're going to go the way of the Corinthian church. And guess what? We're going to wake up one day and realize that we have tolerated or even proclaimed another Jesus. In tying this a little more closely to our Epiphany season, Today we see Christ revealed as the light that has come into the darkness. And he's primarily concerned with bringing that light, that hope, to the whole world. All of them, they're lost in despair and sin. And he's called us into that ministry. And he expects us to reflect that light so that they can see it and get drawn back in and be part of this. Or, to use the language of Matthew 4, verse 19, we now fish for him. So remember when we started, we had a unity problem we were talking about in Corinth. That unity, that true unity is built when we strive together as fishers of men. In our collect today, we're petitioning God to help us readily answer that discipleship call and to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive, may behold the glory of his marvelous works. So I don't want you to go away from here thinking Epiphany Tide is like a series of blinking lights. One turns on and shows us something real nifty about Jesus, and then it turns off. And then another one turns on and shows us something real nifty about Jesus, and then it turns off. No. As we continue through this season... We should be feeling like Jesus just keeps shining brighter, becoming more glorious, 
every, every week reveals another facet of Jesus. Another facet of who he is. And that light gets turned on and it gets left on. You see, the first Sunday we see that Christ has brought our adoption into the household of God. The second Sunday last week, Christ was declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This week, Christ calls us to follow him and to proclaim to him the rest of the world so they can get caught up in this too. Caught up into this one Lord who possesses infinite grace, infinite power, infinite love, infinite truth, infinite beauty, infinite goodness, all of that in Christ. And so all of this exists within that one Lord Jesus Christ. And this demands one unified people. We must reflect Christ as that one source of light. That is, that is what has been given by the Father in the power of the Spirit. So I encourage you today, and myself, let's take an inventory of our gifts, our talents, our resources, our children, our social and business connections, our attitudes about the church, life, politics. And let's check our assumptions about what it means to be answering the call of Christ and proclaiming the good news of his salvation. Does something need to change? Maybe it's just a change of priority. If so, we need to repent. But I don't want you to leave here scorned. Our unity also doesn't mean homogeneity. Okay, the unity of the body of Christ is it's not a monochromatic, sort of droning robotic herd marching noisily through the streets and through our Facebook forums. We have all been given unique gifts, all for the sake of building this work together. And as this light refracts through our individual lives, it becomes prismatic. In other words, it reveals all these various colors. Like the beautiful rainbow and the colors surrounding the throne. Do you remember in Revelation 5, the throne room? All these glorious colors that you can hardly describe, shining out. That's what we get to reflect out into the world. And so with that in mind, I just want to ask this. Are we all unified in pointing outward so that the world can turn and trace us all back to that one point of origin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.